everyone, and welcome back to How to College for First Gents, our podcast where we get together with some of our friends to have real conversations on what it's like to be a first-generation student before, during, and after college. I am super excited about today's episode, as we will be focusing on the post-college phase. I have a very special guest for y'all today, Rebecca Acuna, who served as President Biden's Texas State Director during his 2020 presidential campaign. I first met Rebecca when I was part of the Latino for Leadership Development, whose mission is to create a pipeline of leaders and ideas equipped to address the challenges and opportunities of the Latino community. Here are some things you should know about Rebecca before we jump right in. One, she's someone who I truly admire for the work that she's doing because I truly believe that her heart is in the right place. Two, she's probably one of the hardest working people that I know. Three, she has one of the best styles, hands down. As you will hear today, she's extremely articulate, poised, and she has done a tremendous amount of work to make Texas a more progressive place. I won't keep you in anticipation any longer. Let's get started. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Norma. Thank you for the invitation. I'm doing very well. Thank you. So, Rebecca, tell our audience a little bit about you. Listen, I was born in a small town in northern Mexico named El Fuerte, Sinaloa, Mexico, I moved to the U.S. with my parents and my younger sister when I was just six years old. We moved to the Texas-Mexico border, first to McAllen, then to Laredo, went back a few times. And I grew up in, in South Texas as an immigrant with immigrant parents, both of whom work in restaurants. That's that's amazing. I, as you know, I love the RGB and I had the opportunity to also live there. So what inspired you originally to get involved in political campaigns? Most people never think about government. They never think about politics. And if you do, maybe you think about it on election day. I had an ex- a life-changing experience due to government, and I recognized it at the age of 17. I was living in Laredo, Texas, which is heavily Latino as an immigrant. And I really never thought about my immigration status or being an immigrant because of the community in which I grew up, in which everybody looked like me. So I am a pretty good student. I'm at the top of my class and time is coming to apply for college. Suddenly I realized like I cannot apply to college because the immigration paperwork had still not all been processed. And therefore, I was out of status at that moment. I was 17. And as a, you know, as a kid, I just I knew that suddenly I I couldn't do something. One day, my mom comes into my room. This was summer before my senior year of high school. And she says, Rebecca, you can go to college. They passed some law. I saw it on the news. They passed some law, changed my life. Because right now we hear of Dreamers and we hear of DACA. That did not exist back then. In-state tuition didn't even exist. So in-state tuition passed. 
in Texas, the first state in the country, right before my senior year of high school, which then opened the doors to college. Now, I know we were talking about political experience, but having this aha moment as a 17-year-old to see how life-changing, not Congress, not a president, but a state law was in determining my future opened so many doors for me. A year and a half later, I would be among the first cohorts of undocumented students in the country to attend public universities in the United States. And I was well aware that it was because of state legislation, which made me pay so much attention to politics. And that was really the starting the starting point. In many ways, people that are affected by policy on their daily lives, we have no choice but to listen, but to pay attention. And so in many ways, I tell people oftentimes, it's not that I chose to be involved, is that I had no actual choice in the matter because my life depended on it. And it sounds like that that was the case for you as well. Absolutely. That was the case. You you said it perfectly. You had no choice but to be involved. Now, got to college. I this again, the word dreamer didn't exist. I I didn't know that there was anyone else in my situation. I didn't know anyone else. The college application process being among the first was very confusing. I was finally met some very close friends who were in the same situation. And we began to teach other students how to apply to college. But what happened is that since the passage of the law and uh, I started my freshman year, 9-11 happened, which changed the public perception of the public conversation around immigrants. So this law that I talked about that was so life-changing for me and thousands of other students, it came at a time where the the national conversation around immigrants was not as bad. And that was quickly changed. Quickly changing also translated to state legislatures wanting to get rid of the laws that they had passed. And so as a college student, I had to become involved. I had to become an activist. And my first my first efforts around government came as a college student learning how to uh, organize legislative campaigns to preserve and save and state tuition. And yes, in our minds, we were doing good things, but it was ultimately about, am I going to be allowed to come back to school next semester. And that is how I started visiting the Capitol, meeting the players, understanding, learning about the system. It was about preserving our right to our access to continue our college education. And so when you were going to the Capitol, were you lobbying with an organization or were you focus on a specific representative that you sort of saw, this is the person that I think can push forward my policies and my ideas. I'm trying to bridge the gap here between an organization and a representative for our audience. The first thing is finding a group of people who 
finding another group of people who are also benefited. So for us, we had the University Leadership Initiative, we had LULAC, uh, collegiate chapters, state chapters, we had professors, we would have meetings to discuss the plan. The representatives we were focusing on were the members of the State Affairs Committee, which is where this repeal, repeal bill got sent. Now, this was my first experience in politics, so I didn't have as my concept at the moment wasn't as elaborate. Um, it was targeting the members who were on a specific committee and the members who were going to vote on the bill. Okay, so you spend all of your college years sort of in the Capitol. You become aware of the players, kind of understand how policy works. And so at what point do you turn that into an actual job that you get paid for? Because here here you are surviving, right? But now you transition over to, wait a minute, maybe I like this. And I like this enough to do this for a living. Oh, I loved it. At the time, I was undocumented and we didn't have DACA. So that just wasn't an option. That's also why I was doing so much unpaid work. When I was finally able to adjust my status through family petition, my, you know, my, at that point, my sister, my mom, my father had all received their, their work permits. But eventually, uh, right prior to a few months short of my 25th birthday, I received my work authorization. And that was the first place I looked was the state capitol. I, I knew I wanted to, I loved the system. I loved the process. I wanted to be a part of it. I thought I would be good at it. I just looked online for job postings and I started applying. And my first job was in 2009, working for State Representative Garnet Coleman from Houston. I worked for him for a while and I had the best bad thing happen to me, the best thing for my career. I originally had applied for a role in his office as his legislative director. They called me a few weeks after I applied and they said, hey, we filled the legislative director role, but we have a communications director role available. Do you want to interview for it? That was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because what some advice I give people who are interested in entering politics is to have a specialty. What is going to separate you from the hundreds of other candidates who want to fill the same role? And by not hiring me as his legislative director, I was forced to really learn communications. I am having that communications director role in my first job and getting to learn working for him for two and a half years opened the doors to every single other job I had. I I went to work uh, for the Texas Democratic Party as the state communications director. That opened the doors for me to work in a red to blue, which is a competitive congressional seat. I worked on at Texas 23, which we did flip from Republican to Democrat. 
after working on that race, I got to go work in Congress as a communications director. And that the experience, I kept gaining experience. And as I kept gaining experience at this point, it was state legislative experience, state party experience, congressional race experience, and now Congress, all because I had this specialty of communications that opened the doors for me to come back home and be the statewide press secretary for Wendy Davis. So now I've got statewide experience. And you can see this, think of it as a ladder. Every single step is, is getting me, every, every experience is opening more and more doors and helping me, helping me to continue to climb. Oh my goodness. I always knew how accomplished you are, but the way you've just laid it out, I am amazed and I continue to be amazed by your career. So let me ask you here. So there's, there's two differences, right? There's one working on communications for someone who is already elected, who's holding office. And then there's working communications for someone who is trying to be elected, right? Who is running for office. So can you tell us a little bit about the differences there and when was the first time that you went from someone who was already elected to trying to elect someone? I'm so glad you asked that question. They are completely different experiences. However, if you learn how to do both, you're gold. Now, the first member I worked for, he was already elected. Your mind when you're working for someone who is an elected official is about governing. It is not campaigns. It is not going back and forth. It is how do you promote good policy? So oftentimes when you're working for someone who's already elected, you're messaging around policy ideas, around policy proposals, around why things make sense for families, right? I went from that to working in the state party, I consider this one of my favorite jobs because if you are not attached to any office, they will not, the, the member will not face any repercussions based on whatever you say. So I'm sure a lot of people have talked to you already about watching what you say on social media. I was, when I was, when I work for other people, I'm always a little paranoid that I'm going to make a big mistake that's going to impact them. State party. Nope. That, that wasn't a concern. I got to be, my job was to be hard hitting, was to point out when Republican leaders were saying something that went against the values of Texans. Now, I went from those two to working on the most, one of the most competitive congressional races where we were trying to defeat an incumbent. And that's the campaign. Now, when you're not an elected official, it is a lot harder to get media because you are not an elected official. So you have to be very creative. Um, you've got to make a plan. You have to be hard hitting because what you're trying to tell voters when you're going against an incumbent is that the other person needs to be fired. And therefore you are building a case about why one person needs to be fired and the other person needs to be hired, which is which is different than the campaign to enact 
public policy proposals. A completely different fields, right? And, and just getting your mindset to to what it is that the message that you're trying to put out and the strategy behind it. I think it's fascinating. But let me ask you something to take a, a step back. Did you always work in a leadership position when we were talking about political campaigns? Or did you also have to do what I call paying your dues, right? Like the rolling up your sleeve, the knocking on doors, the calling on the phone. Was that all part of your job description as well? Or were you more on the strategy piece of how we communicate? Who do we communicate with? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. They were not in my job description and I did them. And that is why I continued to climb up. When I worked for my first job, I mean, Yes, you've got communications director in your title, but you're a small office. You're reporting to someone else. I was stapling paper on the evenings when I was not at work. I was volunteering for other candidates, which meant I was making calls. I would go knocking on doors on the weekends. I was picking up trash, picking up pizza for people. Those are all a part of it, right? And so at some point when there is a job opening, at some point when there is a position, there is a job opening coming, they're going to remember the person who was there. They're going to remember the person who, I I think a a few instances, I was the, the top phone caller for a judge's race in Austin. And, and we still have a, a very good friendship because of that. But there's there's so much. You don't just fall into a leadership position. You have to show leadership. And a big part of that is showing that you're up for any job, that you're going to be a team player, and that there's no task that's that's too small. I did small tasks from my first job to my last job as a state, a state director, and I told my team, that they could always ask me for help, that I wasn't going to look at any job as as too small. And I think that's what makes you such a great leader, right? Because I, I have been in many campaigns where there is a very clear delineation between who's making the strategy calls and who's implementing them, right? But I, I think part of your success story is that you not only do the how, but you you do the what, right? You you mix both of those together, which is, I think, why you were picked to be the state director for now President Biden's campaign here in Texas. So tell us a little bit about that. How did that opportunity come about and what were you doing on a daily basis? Well, the last job I mentioned was coming back home for coming back home to Texas to work for Wendy Davis and her gubernatorial race as statewide press secretary. And I'll very quick touch on a few other roles I had since then. I worked, I went back to the state legislature where I worked as chief of staff for two other members, now state Senator Cesar Blanco, but I worked as his chief of staff when he was in the state house and state representative Victoria Niave. I also moved to Dallas to be the founding executive director of this organization called the Latino Center for Leadership Development, where we created a pipeline for people seeking elected office. Now, and then I went to work for PepsiCo as director of government affairs. So if you look at it just on paper, and I still have issues with 
talking about myself for some reason. But if I if I take a step back and I look at myself on paper, what the campaign was seeing was a person who was a Texan who had always worked in Texas politics, who at this point had experience working for four legislative sessions for three different state representatives covering El Paso, Dallas, Houston, a congressional race, campaign experience, statewide campaign experience, congressional experience, and who, because of community work, had a lot of contacts. So they said, okay, she's got state experience. She's got federal experience. She's got campaign experience. She has got the contacts, which is very important. And what did I say about my first job? It opened all these doors. We are in a pandemic. We cannot do things normally. This year, we need someone with good communications experience. And because of the time frame, the moment that we were in, they wanted someone who was a good communicator. And that is what made my resume appealing to the now president's campaign. I would agree with all the credentials. And, and I think if I made the other part of it, and, and, and to me, the beautiful part of it is that like you are Latina, you're an immigrant. To me, this is the new face of Texas as well. So, so I think that, yes, all the credentials obviously were the fundamental, but I also think that what you represent, right, and the community that you come from was also a big deal for the Democratic Party to say, we are going to take a stance. And yes, this is someone who grew up undocumented. And yes, that is precisely also why we're getting her. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, I talked about seeing the change in the national, the environment on immigration, right? And early on, I never wanted to talk about my story, not because I was shy. I just, I didn't want it to be a liability for anyone I was working for. And and over the years, n- not just because, but because of all of the work done by advocates, you could see the change in public opinion where you're right. We got to a point where it was not a liability. It was an asset. So first, we had an extremely diverse team. I are, As you know, I am a Latina from South Texas. Our deputy state director was another Latina from South Texas. Our senior advisor was a Latina from Corpus. Our field director is a Latina from the RGV. We had more senior advisors, organizing directors who were African-American women. We're an extremely diverse team. And, And a question that kind of, I know it's expected, really annoyed me was always talking about what is the strategy for Latino voters? You've, we had an incredibly diverse team full of Latinos and Latinas. And it was, it was just a part of every day. It wasn't a second thought. It was a part of who we were calling, the message we were using. Um, but to get back to your specific question about integrating this with the campaign is that when Senator Harris was going to visit, physically visit North 
Texas, a colleague suggested that I be the one to introduce her. And everybody was instantly on board as that making sense. Is that that showing what you're talking about is, is the current base of Texas and getting to share my story, my personal story um, on a national platform um, and to get to do it as a big part of this campaign. So in October, it was that it was on October 13th, that Friday morning on a Friday in October, I cast my first ever ballot in any general presidential election. And an hour and a half later, I introduced now Vice President Harris to the people in Fort Worth, Texas. And I did it as the state director for the Biden campaign. So I was on full display um, sharing my story and sharing my story, my part of the campaign, and talking about why seeing then-Senator Harris listening and seeing her story was so important to people just like me. And it went from once thinking that my story was a liability to it being an asset as a person who understood the lives of millions of Texans. Rebecca, I'm getting goosebumps. Oh my goodness. Wow. So talk about a moment in history and and a moment in your life that will go on as a legacy. Here you are casting your vote for the first time ever, turning around, going to introduce our vice, now our vice president, the first African-American vice president this country has ever had. And then, and not, not just that, but you are doing it as a state director. I mean, that is ludicrous, right? Have you had some time to reflect on, on what that has meant for your life? You know, if you go back and you watch it, what you'll see is I looked amazing. I had my hair done. I had my makeup done. <laughs> it was a very short speech. I looked polished. But you don't, people don't see the behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, I was a mess. I was up until 2 a.m. trying to get the words right. I, I was crying from anxiety. I was mad that I had accepted because I thought if I hadn't accepted, I wouldn't be so anxious right now. I would be able to sleep. I would be focused on her doing three visits tomorrow. And now I have to be a part of it. I, I was not sure how much I should share and how much I should leave out because I'm a campaign person. I'm a communications person. And of course, I know my story, but we still need to win this campaign. And that is the most important thing. And what if what I say ends up not helping? And I have to do it all in three to four minutes. So I was feeling mass anxiety. I was thinking about my audience. I was thinking about where I was. I was thinking about who was physically there, but also who was going to see me. And then I, I heard my friend Jane Hamilton's voice. She is, uh, she was a senior direct or senior advisor. She's an African American woman who had been the state director during the primary and a dear friend. And I heard her voice and I heard her telling me, you need to come out 
and flat out say the words. You need to say that you were undocumented. And I'm like, Jane, you know, but people know I sort of talk about it. She's like, no, no, no. You need to say it. You need to say it you, because this is why we're here. And, and people looking at you need to know. And, and so I had so much anxiety about threading this needle and, and getting the words just right in a way that people could relate and would relate without turning people off. And as I was up there, it's going to sound tacky, but as I was up there, I could see all of my life, all these little moments, these tough moments in life, you know, watching your parents come home really tired from a day on their feet. I was remembering all the tears about were we going to be able to continue to study? Oh my gosh, now I have all this student debt, but I can't even work. What's going to happen next? So I saw all of these major life moments and all of the sacrifices of my parents culminating into being on that stage getting to tell the world that someone like me could, and by extension, thousands of other people like me could be on that stage and introducing Senator Harris. It it was, it was an incredible moment. And what the cameras didn't capture, as soon as I got off the stage and then Senator Harris was coming up, we had this moment and she looks at me and said, Rebecca, that was amazing. You are powerful. And I know that many times you have been in a room where you are the only one who looks like you. And it is so important that you be in that space and you continue to be in those spaces where you are the only one who looks like, who looks like you. You are powerful. And she walked up on stage. Though it was it was surreal. Wow, I can't even imagine all all the feelings that are going through your mind. And 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 you're right. I I think that because I also grew up in Texas, and 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 you and I grew up undocumented, as you know. But for many years, I also didn't talk about it, right? Because we grew up with so much fear around the consequences. So I totally understand your hesitation because by the way, it's not just you on the line, but you are talking about a historic campaign that's something that will impact millions of people, not just in the U.S., but around the world who are watching us through this democratic process. So so I, I totally understand all the nerves that, that are going through through your mind, but I'm really glad you did it, Rebecca, because as someone who watched from far away, I honestly saw part of myself out there with you. And I know that I'm not the only one. I know that there's a lot of youth that were looking and watching you do your thing. And girl, we were proud of you. We were like, yes, get it. Like that is what a chingona looks like out there. So all that to say is, it, to me, it was a beautiful moment. But I, I do want to continue on here. So tell me about the results of Texas. Do you think we were successful at the end of the day? Obviously, President Biden won. But tell me about the future of Texas here for a second. Listen, I was really happy with the results. Of course, we wanted to flip it, but we cut the margin in half from when Hillary ran four years ago. We got to five points. We got closer than 
Ohio with a fraction of the funds. We saw our we saw about a million new voters in just in one part of Texas. Obviously, we wanted to flip Texas, but our team was still very happy with the results. We closed the margin. We identified first-time voters, encouraged first-time voters, reached first-time voters, first-time voters to a presidential campaign. And more importantly also is that we gave an experience, we gave a presidential campaign experience to dozens of Texans, dozens of diverse Texans. Um, We created a sort of infrastructure and plan to continue to build upon. And I've always been very put off by individuals who work in politics and are very publicly critical of other staff or other campaigns because to me that's that's being the the critic versus the man in the arena the person in the arena I'm like no you don't criticize the people who are doing all the work and are are giving up their lives because you you really do give up um, you really do give something up to to work on something like this so i am so hopeful about the future i'm hopeful that of how close we got and yes it's hard no one is saying that it's easy but the roadmap is there for us in texas to continue to work on until we we, we flip it and we're not it's not that far away. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think every little incremental piece works. But but I, I think that the most powerful piece that, that you said during this conversation is that we are beginning to not have the Black strategy, the Latino strategy. We're beginning to have a new DNA in the Democratic Party that says we, we don't just do this programming on the side. It's part of who we are and it's part of what we do on a daily basis. And to me, that that was one of the biggest wins in Texas that hopefully will continue forward, right? That we're not just living in silos anymore and thinking through, well, this population, because Texas is is growing and, and, and the population and the demographics are changing dramatically that, that you're right, we're going to need a new strategy that is embedded overall, though, in the campaign, not just on the side. So from an outsider perspective, I think to me, that was a huge win. It's about Texans from every single community running the campaign they know their state needs. Oh, I love that. Okay. And then just one last final thought here. Any first generation students that are listening to us, some that are in college, some that are out of college already, and they want to get involved and they, they want and they have a thirst for something needs to change. And hopefully, I know that every four years when we have a presidential campaign, people get really excited. But hopefully people still continue the work while, you know, we have another presidential campaign. So what are some of your tips or advice that you have for our listeners? Absolutely. Look around you. What can you impact in the next month? This doesn't have to be a presidential campaign. Is it starting in the student government Is it getting your student government at college to support a certain piece of legislation? Is it testifying at a school board meeting, at a city council meeting in the state legislature? Is it organizing an event on campus? 
these were all the ways that I gained experience to put on my resume. It wasn't campaigns. It was organizing lobby days at the Capitol. It was organizing marches on my campus. It was doing fact sheets for undocumented students and newsletters for undocumented students. So don't think that if you can't automatically volunteer in a presidential campaign, that that shuts you out. Think of what you can do in your school. Think of how you can get involved in the state legislative session, especially now that with virtual. Uh, is it arranging some virtual Zoom meetings with legislators? Uh, those are all things that you can do that are all achievable to everyone listening. Well, Rebecca, you have been so generous with your time. We thank you so much for being on the show. And we look forward to what's coming next, right? Not just for you, but for the state of Texas. But you have already begun such a huge legacy. So it is an honor to know you. And we thank you so much for this. Thank you so much. As you heard today, Rebecca has worked extremely hard to get to some of her leadership positions. Yet, she's humble and willing to roll up her sleeves to simply get the job done. She encourages you all out there, high school and college students, to think about the change and impact you can have in your community within the next month. She reminds us that you don't need to have the fancy title. If you see a problem, roll up your sleeves. I hope that today you have become extremely inspired to make the world a better place than you found it. Until next time. <music>